Chapter Twenty Two of Arsène Lupin by Maurice Leblanc, translated by Edgar Jepson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Two: The Bargain. Charolais conducted the detective down the stairs and led him out of the front door, cursing and threatening vengeance as he went. Charolais took no notice of his words. He was the well-trained servant. He came back upstairs, and on the landing called to Victoire and Bernard. They came hurrying down, and the three of them went into the smoking-room. "'Now we know where we are,' said Lupin, with cheerful briskness. "'Gershaw will be here in ten minutes, with a warrant for my arrest. All of you, clear out!' "'It won't be so precious easy. The house is watched,' said Charolais. "'And I'll bet it's watched back and front.' "'Well, slip out by the secret entrance. They haven't found that yet,' said Lupin and meet me at the house at Passy. Charolais and Bernard wanted no more telling. They ran to the bookcase and pressed the buttons. The bookcase slid aside. The doors opened and disclosed the lift. They stepped into it. Victoire had followed them. She paused and said, And you? Are you coming? In an instant I shall slip out the same way, he said. I'll wait for him. You go on, said Victoire. And the lift went down. Lupin went to the telephone, rang the bell, and put the receiver to his ear. "'You've no time to waste telephoning. They may be here at any moment,' cried Victoire, anxiously. "'I must. If I don't telephone, Sonia will come here. She will run right into Gershard's arms. Why the devil don't they answer? They must be deaf!' And he rang the bell again. "'Let's go to her. Let's get out of here,' cried Victoire more anxiously. "'There really isn't any time to waste.' "'Go to her?' But I don't know where she is. I lost my head last night, cried Lupin, suddenly anxious himself. Are you there? he shouted into the telephone. She's at a little hotel near the star. Are you there? But there are twenty hotels near the star. Are you there? Oh, I did lose my head last night. Are you there? Oh, hang this telephone. Here I'm fighting with a piece of furniture, and every second is important. He picked up the machine, shook it, saw that the wires were cut, and cried furiously. Ha! They've played the telephone trick on me. That's Gershah, the swine. And now we can come along, cried Victoire. But that's just what I can't do, he cried. But there's nothing more for you to do here, since you can no longer telephone, said Victoire, bewildered. Lupin caught her arm and shook her, staring into her face with panic-stricken eyes. But don't you understand that since I haven't telephoned, she'll come here, he cried hoarsely. Five and twenty minutes past eight. At half past eight she will start, start to come here. His face had suddenly grown haggard. This new fear had brought back all the exhaustion of the night. His eyes were panic-stricken. But what about you? said Victoire, wringing her hands. What about her? said Lupin, and his voice thrilled with anguished dread. But you gain nothing by destroying both of you, nothing at all. I prefer it said Lupin slowly, with a sudden, stubborn air. "'But they're coming to take you!' cried Victoire, gripping his arm. "'Take me?' cried Lupin, freeing himself quietly from her grip. And he stood frowning, plunged in deep thought, weighing the chances, the risks, seeking a plan, saving the vices. He crossed the room to the writing-table, opened a drawer, and took out a cardboard box about eight inches square, and set it on the table. "'They shall never take me alive,' he said gloomily. "'Oh, hush, hush,' said Victoire. 
I know very well that you're capable of anything. And they, too, they'll destroy you. No, look, you, you must go. They won't do anything to her, a child like that, so frail. She'll get off quite easily. You're coming, aren't you? No, I'm not, said Lupin stubbornly. Oh, well, if you won't, said Victoire. And with an air of resolution, she went to the side of the lift well and pressed the buttons. The doors closed. The bouquet slid across. She sat down and folded her arms. What? You're not going to stop here, cried Lupin. Make me stir if you can. I'm as fond of you as she is. You know I am, said Victoire, and her face sat stonely obstinate. Lupin begged her to go, ordered her to go. He seized her by the shoulder, shook her, and abused her like a pickpocket. She would not stir. He abandoned the effort, sat down, and knitted his brow again, in profound and painful thought, working out his plan. Now and again his eyes flashed. Once or twice they twinkled. Victoire watched his face with just the faintest hope on her own. It was past five and twenty minutes to nine when the front door bell rang. They gazed at one another with an unspoken question on their lips. The eyes of Victoire were scared, but in the eyes of Lupin the light of battle was gathering. It's her, said Victoire under her breath. No, said Lupin, it's Gerchard. He sprang to his feet with shining eyes. His lips were curved in a fighting smile. The game isn't lost yet, he said in a tense, quiet voice. I'm going to play to the end. I've a card or two left still. Good cards. I'm still the Duke of Charmas. He turned to her. Now, listen to me, he said. Go down and open the door for him. What? You want me to? said Victoire in a shaky voice. Yes, I do. Listen to me carefully. When you have opened the door, slip out of it and watch the house. Don't go too far from it. Look out for Sonia. You'll see her coming. Stop her from entering, Victoire. Stop her from entering. He spoke coolly, but his voice shook on the last words. But if Gershard arrests me, said Victoire, he won't. When he comes in, stand behind the door. He will be too eager to get to me to stop for you. Besides, for him, you don't count in the game. Once you're out of the house, I'll hold him here for, for half an hour. That will leave a margin. Sonia will hurry here. She should be here in twelve minutes. Get her away to the house at Passy. If I don't come, keep her there. She'll still live with you. But I shall come. As he spoke, he was pushing her towards the door. The bell rang again. They were at the top of the stairs. Suppose he does arrest me, said Victoire breathlessly. Never mind, you must go all the same, said Lupin. Don't give up hope. Trust me. Go. Go, for my sake. I'm going, dearie, said Victoire. And she went down the stairs steadily, with a brave air. He watched her halfway down the flight. Then he muttered. If only she gets to Sonia in time. He turned, went into the smoking room and shut the door. He sat quietly down in an easy chair, lighted a cigarette, and took up a paper. He heard the noise of the traffic in the street grow louder as the front door was opened. There was a pause. Then he heard the door bang. There was a sound of a hasty footstep on the stairs. The door flew open, and Gershard bounced into the room. 
he stopped short in front of the door at the sight of Lupin, quietly reading, smoking at his ease. He had expected to find the bird flown. He stood still, hesitating, shuffling his feet. All his doubts had returned. And Lupin smiled at him over the lowered paper. Guerchard pulled himself together by a violent effort and said jerkily, Good morning, Lupin. Good morning, Monsieur Guerchard, said Lupin, with an ambiguous smile and all the air of the Duke of Chamras. You were expecting me? I hope I haven't kept you waiting, said Guerchard, with an air of bravado. No, thank you. The time has passed quite quickly. I have so much to do in the morning, always, said Lupin. I hope you had a good night after that unfortunate business of the coronet. That was a disaster, and so unexpected, too. Guerchard came a few steps into the room, still hesitating. You've a very charming house here, he said, with a sneer. It's central, said Lupin, carelessly. You must please excuse me if I cannot receive you as I should like. But all my servants have bolted. Those confounded detectives of yours have frightened them away. You needn't bother about that. I shall catch them, said Guerchard. If you do, I'm sure I wish you joy of them. Do please keep your hat on, said Lupin, with ironic politeness. Guerchard came slowly to the middle of the room, raising his hand to his hat, letting it fall again without taking it off. He sat down slowly, facing him, and they gazed at one another with the wary eyes of duelists crossing swords at the beginning of a duel. "'Did you get Monsieur Fourmery to sign a little warrant?' said Lupin, in a caressing tone full of quiet mockery. "'I did,' said Guerchard, through his teeth. "'And have you got it on you?' said Lupin. "'I have,' said Guerchard. "'Against Lupin, or against the Duke of Chamras?' said Lupin. "'Against Lupin, called Chamras,' said Guerchard. "'Well, that ought to cover me pretty well. "'Why don't you arrest me? "'What are you waiting for?' said Lupin. "'His face was entirely serene. "'His eyes were careless, his tone indifferent. "'I'm not waiting for anything,' said Guerchard thickly. "'But it gives me such pleasure "'that I wish to enjoy this minute to the utmost, Lupin,' said Guerchard. "'And his eyes gloated on him.' Lupin himself, said Lupin, smiling. I hardly dare believe it, said Guerchard. You're quite right not to, said Lupin. Yes, I hardly dare believe it. You, alive, here, at my mercy. Oh, dear, no, not yet, said Lupin. Yes, said Guerchard, in a decisive tone. And ever so much more than you think. He bent forward toward him with his hands on his knees, and said, Do you know where Sonia Krichnov is at this moment? What? said Lupin sharply. I ask if you know where Sonia Krichnov is, said Guerchard slowly, lingering over the words. Do you? said Lupin. I do, said Guerchard triumphantly. Where is she? said Lupin, in a tone of utter incredulity. 
in a small hotel near the star. The hotel has a telephone, and you can make sure, said Gershar. Indeed, that's very interesting. What's the number of it? said Lupin in a mocking tone. Five, five, five central. Would you like to telephone to her? said Gershar, and he smiled triumphantly at the disabled instrument. Lupin shook his head with a careless smile and said, Why should I telephone to her? What are you driving at? Nothing, that's all, said Gershar, and he leant back in his chair with an ugly smile on his face. Evidently nothing, for, after all, what has that child got to do with you? You're not interested in her, plainly. She's not big enough game for you. It's me you are hunting. It's me you hate. It's me you want. I've played you tricks enough for that, you old scoundrel. So you're going to leave that child in peace? You're not going to revenge yourself on her. It's all very well for you to be a policeman. It's all very well for you to hate me. But there are things one does not do. There was a ring of menace and appeal in the deep, ringing tones of his voice. You're not going to do that, Gershaw. You will not do it. Me? Yes. Anything you like. But her... Her you must not touch. He gazed at the detective with fierce, appealing eyes. That depends on you, said Gershaw curtly. On me? cried Lupin, in genuine surprise. Yes, I've a little bargain to propose to you, said Gershaw. Have you? said Lupin, and his watchful face was serene again, his smile almost pleasant. Yes, said Gershaw, and he paused, hesitating. Well, what is it you want? said Lupin. Out with it. Don't be shy about it. I offer you. You offer me? cried Lupin. Then it isn't true. You're fooling me. Reassure yourself, said Gershaw coldly. To you, personally, I offer nothing. Then you are sincere, said Lupin. And putting me out of the question... I offer you liberty. Who for? For my concierge? said Lupin. Don't play the fool. You care only for a single person in the world. I hold you through her. Sonia Krichnov. Lupin burst into a ringing, irrepressible laugh. Wah! You're trying to blackmail me, you old sweep! He cried. If you like to call it so, said Gershah coldly. Lupin rose and walked backwards and forwards across the room, frowning, calculating, glancing keenly at Gershaw, weighing him. Twice he looked at the clock. He stopped and said coldly, So be it. For the moment you're the stronger. That won't last. But you offer me this child's liberty. That's my offer, said Gershaw and his eyes brightened at the prospect of success. Her complete liberty? On your word of honor? said Lupin. And he had something of the air of a cat playing with a mouse. On my word of honor, said Gershaw. Can you do it? said Lupin with a sudden air of doubt, and he looked sharply from Gershaw to the clock. 
I undertake to do it, said Guerchard confidently. But how? said Lupin, looking at him with an expression of the gravest doubt. Oh, I'll put the thefts on your shoulders. That will let her out all right, said Guerchard. I've certainly good broad shoulders, said Lupin, with a bitter smile. He walked slowly, up and down, with an air that grew more and more depressed. It was almost the air of a beaten man. Then he stopped and faced Guerchard and said, And what is it you want in exchange? Everything, said Guerchard, with the air of a man who's winning. You must give me back the pictures, tapestry, Renaissance cabinets, the coronet, and all the information about the death of the Duke of Chamras. Did you kill him? If I ever commit suicide, you'll know all about it, my good Guerchard. You'll be there. You may even join me, said Lupin grimly. He resumed his pacing up and down the room. Done for, yes. I shall be done for, he said presently. The fact is, you want my skin. Yes, I want your skin, said Guerchard, in a low, savage, vindictive tone. My skin, said Lupin thoughtfully. Are you going to do it? Think of that girl, said Guerchard, in a fresh excess of uneasy anxiety. Lupin left. I can give you a glass of port, he said, but I'm afraid that's all I can do for you. I'll throw Victoire in, said Guerchard. What? cried Lupin. You've arrested Victoire? There was a ring of utter dismay, almost despair, in his tone. Yes, and I'll throw her in. She shall go scot-free. I won't bother with her, said Guerchard eagerly. The front door bell rang. Wait, wait, let me think, said Lupin hoarsely. And he strove to adjust his jostling ideas, to meet with a fresh plan this fresh disaster. He stood listening with all his ears. There were footsteps on the stairs, and the door opened. Dieuzy stood on the threshold. Who is it? said Guerchard. I accept, I accept everything, cried Lupin in a frantic tone. It's a tradesman. Am I to detain him? said Dieuzy. You told me to let you know who came and take instructions. A tradesman? Then I refuse, cried Lupin, in an ecstasy of relief. No, you needn't keep him, said Guerchard to Dieuzy. Dieuzy went out and shut the door. You refuse, said Guerchard. I refuse, said Lupin. I'm going to jail that girl, said Guerchard savagely, and he took a step towards the door. Not for long, said Lupin quietly. You have no proof. She'll furnish the proof all right herself. Plenty of proofs, said Guerchard brutally. What chance has a silly child like that got when you really start questioning her? A delicate creature like that will crumple up before the end of the third day's cross-examination. You swine, said Lupin. You know well enough that I can do it on my head with a feeble child like that. And you know your code. Five years is the minimum, said Guerchard, in a tone of relentless brutality, watching him carefully, sticking to his hope. By Jove, I could wring your neck, said Lupin, trembling with fury. By a violent effort he controlled himself and said thoughtfully, After all, if I give up everything to you, I shall be free to take it back one of these days. Oh, no doubt, when you come out of prison, 
said Gerchard ironically, and he laughed a grim, jeering laugh. I've got to go to prison first, said Lupin quietly. Pardon me. If you accept, I mean to arrest you, said Gerchard. Manifestly, you'll arrest me if you can, said Lupin. Do you accept, said Gerchard. And again his voice quivered with anxiety. Well, said Lupin, and he paused, as if finally weighing the matter. Well, said Gerchard, and his voice shook. Well, no, said Lupin, and he laughed, a mocking laugh. You won't, said Gerchard between his teeth. No, you wish to catch me. This is just a ruse, said Lupin in quiet, measured tones. At bottom, you don't care a hang about Sonia, Mademoiselle Krichnov. You will not arrest her. And then, if you did, you have no proofs. There are no proofs. As for the pendant, you'd have to prove it. You can't prove it. You can't prove that it was in her possession one moment. Where is the pendant? He paused, and then went on in the same quiet tone. No, Gershaw. After having kept out of your clutches for the last ten years, I'm not going to be caught to save this child, who's not even in danger. She has a very useful friend in the Duke of Charmeras. I refuse. Gershaw stared at him, scowling, biting his lips, seeking a fresh point of attack. For the moment he knew himself baffled, but he still clung tenaciously to the struggle in which victory would be so precious. The front door bell rang again. There's a lot of ringing at your bell this morning, said Gershaw under his breath, and hope sprang afresh in him. Again they stood silent, waiting. Dieuzy opened the door, put in his head, and said, It's Mademoiselle Krichnov. Color her! Here's the warrant! Color her! shouted Gershaw with savage, triumphant joy. Never! You shan't touch her! By heaven, you shan't touch her! cried Lupin frantically, and he sprang like a tiger at Gershaw. Gershaw jumped to the other side of the table. Will you accept, then? he cried. Lupin gripped the edge of the table with both hands and stood panting, grinding his teeth, pale with fury. He stood silent and motionless for perhaps half a minute, gazing at Gershaw with burning, murderous eyes. Then he nodded his head. Let Mademoiselle Krichnov wait, said Gershaw, with a sigh of deep relief. Dieuzy went out of the room. Now, let us settle exactly how we stand, said Lupin, in a clear, incisive voice. The bargain is this. If I give you the pictures, the tapestry, the cabinet, the coronet, and the death certificate of the Duke of Charmeras, you give me your word of honor that Mademoiselle Krichnov shall not be touched. That's it, said Gershaw eagerly. Once I deliver these things to you, Mademoiselle Krichnov passes out of the game. Yes, said Gershaw. Whatever happens afterwards, if I get back anything, if I escape, she goes scot-free, said Lupin. Yes, said Gershaw, and his eyes were shining. On your word of honor, said Lupin. On my word of honor, said Gershaw. Very well, said Lupin, in a quiet, business-like voice. To begin with, 
Here, in this pocketbook, you will find all the documents, relating to the death of the Duke of Chamahas. In it, you will also find the receipt of the Plantain Furniture Repository at Batignol for the objects of art which I collected at Gournay Martins. I sent them to Batignol because, in my letters asking the owners of valuables to forward them to me, I always make Batignol the place to which they are to be sent. Therefore, I knew that you would never look there. They are all in cases. For, while you were making those valuable inquiries yesterday, my men were putting them into cases. You will not find the receipt in the name of either the Duke of Chamahas or my own. It is in the name of a respected proprietor of Batignol, a Monsieur Pierre Servien. But he has lately left that charming suburb, and I do not think he will return to it. Gershah almost snatched the pocket-book out of his hand. He verified the documents in it with greedy eyes, and then he put them back in it and stuffed it into the breast-pocket of his coat. "'And where's the coronet?' he said, in an excited voice. "'You're nearly standing on it,' said Lupin. "'It's in that kit-bag at your feet, on the top of the change of clothes in it.' Gershah snatched up the kit-bag, opened it, and took out the coronet. "'I'm afraid I haven't the case.' said Lupin, in a tone of regret. If you remember, I left it at Gournay Martins, in your charge. Gershah examined the coronet carefully. He looked at the stones in it. He weighed it in his right hand, and he weighed it in his left. Are you sure it's the real one? said Lupin, in a tone of acute but affected anxiety. Do not, oh, do not let us have any more of these painful mistakes about it. They are so wearing. Yes, yes, this is the real one, said Gershah, with another deep sigh of relief. Well, have you done bleeding me? said Lupin contemptuously. Your arms, said Gershah quickly. They weren't in the bond, said Lupin, but here you are. And he threw his revolver on the table. Gershah picked it up and put it into his pocket. He looked at Lupin as if he could not believe his eyes, gloating over him. Then he said in a deep, triumphant tone, And now for the handcuffs. End of chapter 22